Hello, I'm Curtis Bowers, and this is Agenda Weekly. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I really appreciate it. I hope you've had a good week, and I hope you're enjoying some nice weather wherever you are. We've been having a lot of beautiful weather lately. This week's episode is on technology, and the, the technology gulag they're building around us. Technology has the ability to enslave us and to imprison us, but it's an invisible prison. We can't see all the things it's doing to manipulate us, to waste our time, to sidetrack us off the main things. And anyway, I've just that's what we're going to talk about. I think it's so important. I'm going to be playing lots of clips from some different documentaries that dig into this, but um, we need to be careful that we don't become captivated with technology to the point that it is controlling our lives and it's allowing them to surveil us, to understand who we are without even knowing us so that then they can, at the time appointed, they can decide if we are a domestic terrorist or not and then they can decide what they need to do with us. But um, it's sobering times we live in, but this is some important information, hopefully, to help set you free and to help you think about some things you've never thought about before about technology. All the different things you use in your life for convenience, but are they really convenient? Are they really saving you time or are they using up all of your precious time? Anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today. Thank you so much again for joining me. Those that are not subscribers, I encourage you to go to agendaweekly.com and sign up there where you can get all the different materials that we provide each week and it helps support us, which we really appreciate. I got an email this week from a man, Tim, in Florida, and I had spoken at their church recently, and here's what he said, and it made me realize this topic needs to be covered. You talked at our church today and you mentioned some cautions against some of the technological conveniences that are available to us that may also be detrimental to our minds, bodies, and souls. Do you have any resources that you could point me to where I can study more about the adverse effects of screen time and these technologies? And that's what we need to talk about because I think this is on a lot of people's minds, but it's something they don't think about until someone brings it up. And one of the podcasts we have below that you can listen to, it's by a psychiatrist and it's called A Psychiatrist's Perspective on Screen Addiction. And it just opens your eyes to a lot of different things you've never thought about. How when you're staring at that screen, it's slowly breaking down your attention span. It's slowly breaking down your ability to focus, your ability to think clearly. It's literally dumbing you down. I've even noticed it myself as I've studied this so much Recently, I realized, you know, my attention span is, has dropped dramatically since I've gotten a smartphone and I'm just constantly distracted, constantly drawn away from whatever I'm thinking about, where I sometimes have a hard time just reading a whole article. I can't even make it to the end where I've got to, oh, I've got to move on to the next thing. It's like your mind is so impatient because it's used to this constant stimulation, you know, a text every couple minutes, a, a notification, a, a things like that, which I think are deadly. Two documentaries we also have below. One is called Final Days by Stu Peters, and one is 
The Social Dilemma by Netflix. And I'm going to play several clips from both of those during this episode because they convey some very important points. I'm not going to be able to give you all the details that you need to know about this. It would take hours and hours. I'm hoping to give you enough where you realize this is a serious topic and destruction is being done all around each of us to ourselves, to our children, to our grandchildren. And we need to be paying attention to that because it's going to slowly lull us to sleep where we're so addicted to the screens, we don't care anymore. It's like, that's okay as long as I can watch this next thing, as long as I can just text somebody and see if someone likes my picture. It's really dumbed us down in a way that's kind of hard to comprehend. It also has caused us to enter into things that are evil and, and sinful. As you've probably heard the statistics, you know, over 80% of men in America are addicted to pornography. And I truly believe that is so high because it's right at our fingertips today. You, you don't have to go to a store and buy something. You don't, it's right on your phone anytime you want it with no one restricting you from access to it. When I was a kid, if you even wanted to look at something like that, it would have been almost impossible. They, they would, it would have been so hard to find it because stores wouldn't have sold it to you and adults would have kept it from you and you couldn't do that. But now when it's right there, every you know 10-year-old on their phone can see anything that they want to see and sometimes anything they don't want to see. They're looking at something else and they know, especially on those social media platforms, they know how to pop up these suggestive things that all of a sudden you kind of, oh, you're kind of curious and you go into and then it pulls you down a rabbit hole of hardcore pornography and just evil things. A couple key points that I thought about before we get into some of the clips that dig a little deeper. Very few people today have real relationships with real people where they look them in the eye, they get together with them regularly. Um, I know some of you do, but so many of our relationships have become over the internet and over the Wi-Fi system. And I think that's deadly because those friendships are so shallow when it's just heart, heart on your phone and I love you and little things that are not able to, that you're not able to communicate at the level of importance they should be communicated. When you're looking into their eyes and you say, I love you, that just means something. When you do the heart, heart, it doesn't mean much of anything. So it's trivializing things that are so important. It's also stopping us from having quiet time. We're never by ourselves anymore. We always have this companion of technology with us. In the book of Psalms, it says, be still and know that I am God. We don't have that still time anymore to just think about eternity and life and death and what happens when you die and am I pleasing to God? Am I paying attention to my conscience or not? When you're constantly sidetracked, you don't have time to think the important thoughts that help direct us back to God and realize there is a God and I am accountable to him. Another key thing that I never had really thought about till I was studying this, but Boredom is such an important part of life. Most things that have been invented, 
most of the creative ideas that have come about have been when people were bored and they started tinkering with things and they started fiddling around with things or thinking about things and they had that time to go, well, I wonder if you could you know, design a horseless carriage instead of having a horse pull in it, could I create some kind of machine that could you know, somehow run and, and be able to cause that thing to move or whatever. Most of the great inventions came from people that had time on their hands to think and study. I think a lot of the things that the young people of this generation would have created and designed and, and built are not gonna happen because they've been addicted to their phones since they were little children. They've been addicted to the screen time since they were just little children. Some people allow their children at two, three, four, and five years old to look at a screen. They say under five, you should never look at a screen at all. It totally destroys the development of the brain. But that's something to think about. But the first part I'm gonna get into here is the discipline of manipulating the mind is something people study. A lot of us haven't. It's something totally foreign to us. Even people that are brilliant, if you haven't studied how do you manipulate the mind, you're not aware of what that is, how it happens, and how it's happening to you. And this clip here, watch this, but it just shows that that is really the goal of so much of the technology today. It's to change your behavior incrementally where they can make you do what they want you to do. I mean, this one is less. <laughs> is that good? I was like five years old when I learned how to do magic. And I could fool adults, fully grown adults with like PhDs. Magicians were almost like the first neuroscientists and psychologists. Like they were the ones who first understood how people's minds work. They just in real time are testing lots and lots of stuff on people. A magician understands something, some part of your mind that we're not aware of. That's what makes the illusion work. Doctors, lawyers, people know to build 747s or nuclear missiles. They don't know more about how their own mind is vulnerable. That's a separate discipline. And it's a discipline that applies to all human beings. From that perspective, you can have a very different understanding of what technology is doing. When I was at the Stanford Persuasive Technology Lab, this is what we learned. How could you use everything we know about the psychology of what persuades people and build that into technology? Now, many of you in the audience are geniuses already. I think that's true, but my goal is to turn you into a behavior change genius. There are many prominent Silicon Valley figures who went through that class, key growth figures at Facebook and Uber and, and other companies, and learned how to make technology more persuasive, Tristan being one. Persuasive technology is just sort of design intentionally applied to the extreme, where we really want to modify someone's behavior. We want them to take this action. We want them to keep doing this with their finger. You pull down and you refresh, it's going to be a new thing at the top. Pull down and refresh again, it's new. Every single time, which in psychology we call a positive intermittent reinforcement. 
So you don't know when you're gonna get it, and you don't know if you're gonna get something, which operates just like the slot machines in Vegas. It's not enough that you use the product consciously. I wanna dig down deeper into the brainstem and implant inside of you an unconscious habit so that you are being programmed at a deeper level. You don't even realize it. The man by the name of James Every time you, you see it there on the counter, you just look at it. And you know if you reach over, it just, it just might have something for you. And so you play that slot machine to see what you got, right? That's not by accident. That's a design technique. He brings a golden nugget to his only. Another example is photo tagging. So if you get an email that says your friend just tagged you in a photo, of course you're going to click on that email and look at the photo. It's not something you can just decide to ignore. This is deep-seated like human personality that they're tapping into. What you should be asking yourself is, why doesn't that email contain the photo in it? It would be a lot easier to see the photo. When Facebook found that feature, they just dialed the head of that because they said, this is gonna be a great way to grow activity. Let's just get people tagging each other in photos all day long. Commented. Nice. Okay, Rebecca received it, and she is responding. Hey, let Ben know that she's typing so we don't lose him. Activating ellipsis. Great, she posted. He's commenting on her comment about his comment on her post. Hold on, he stopped typing. Let's autofill. Emojis, he loves emojis. He went with fire. I was rooting for eggplant. There's an entire discipline and field called growth hacking. Teams of engineers whose job is to hack people's psychology so they can get more growth, they can get more user signups, more engagement, they can get you to invite more people. After all the testing, all the iterating, all of this stuff, you know what the single biggest thing we realized? Get any individual to seven friends in 10 days. That was it. Chamath was the head of growth at Facebook early on, and he's very well known in the tech industry for pioneering a lot of the growth tactics that were used to grow Facebook at incredible speed. And those growth tactics have then become the sort of standard playbook for Silicon Valley. They were used at Uber, and they've been used at a bunch of other companies. One of the things that he pioneered was the use of scientific A-B testing of small feature changes. Companies like Google and Facebook would roll out lots of little tiny experiments they were constantly doing on users. And over time, by running these constant experiments, you, you develop the most optimal way to get users to do what you want them to do. It's, it's manipulation. Uh, you're making me feel like a lab rat. You are a lab rat. We're all lab rats. We're pointing these engines of AI back at ourselves to reverse engineer what elicits responses from us. Almost like you're stimulating nerve cells on a spider to see what causes its legs to respond. So it really is this kind of prison experiment where we're just you know, roping people into the matrix and we're just harvesting all this money and, and data from all their activity to profit from. And we're not even aware that it's happening. So we want to psychologically figure out how to manipulate you as fast as possible and then give you back that dopamine hit. We did that at, brilliantly at Facebook. Instagram has done it, WhatsApp has done it, you know, Snapchat has done it, Twitter has done it. I mean, it's exactly the kind of thing that a 
that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. And I just, I, th I think that we, you know, we, the inventors, creators, you know, and it's, it's me, it's Mark, it's the, you know, Kevin Systrom and Instagram, it's all of these people, um, understood this consciously and we did it anyway. Isn't that sobering to hear how it was a purposeful way of manipulating people into doing what you wanted them to do? I'm so thankful for a lot of the, those top executives now realize how deadly it was way more than they thought it would be and are now trying to stand against it and, and make films and things, letting us know, be careful, be careful, be careful. I think one of the most evil things about it is the way it makes us discontent with the life God has given us. Because we're always comparing ourselves to others. We're always looking at the highlight films of other people's lives, and then we reflect on our life and go, it's not like that. Well, their life's not like that either. They're just trying to make it look like that. They're putting the filters on so they look better. They're, they're only showing the highlights of their life, but acting like, that's their normal life, and it's not. It's a total lie. But watch this clip because it shows just the poison of it, what it's actually doing. Here's the fruit of social media, the fruit of these modern technologies in our lives. We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it really is, is fake, brittle popularity that's short-term and that leaves you even more, and admit it, vacant and empty before you did it. Because then it forces you into this vicious cycle where you're like, what's the next thing I need to do now? Because I need it back. Think about that compounded by two billion people. And then think about how people react then to the perceptions of others. It's just a, it's a really bad. It's really, really bad there has been a gigantic increase in depression and anxiety for American teenagers, which began right around between 2011 and 2013. The number of teenage girls out of 100,000 in this country who are admitted to a hospital every year because they cut themselves or otherwise harm themselves, that number was pretty stable until around 2010, 2011, and then it begins going way up. It's up 62% for older teen girls. It's up 189% for the preteen girls. That's nearly triple. Even more horrifying, we see the same pattern with suicide. The older teen girls, 15 to 19 years old, they're up 70% compared to the first decade of the century. The preteen girls, who have very low rates to begin with, they are up 151%. And that pattern points to social media. Gen Z, the kids born after 1996 or so, those kids are the first generation in history that got on social media in middle school. How do they spend their time? They come home from school and they're on their devices. A whole generation is more anxious, more fragile, more depressed, they're much less comfortable taking risks. 
the rates at which they get driver's licenses have been dropping. The number who have ever gone out on a date or had any kind of romantic interaction is dropping rapidly. This is a real change in a generation. It's so clear as you look at it, it's causing us to seek the affections of man instead of God, clearly. It's like the ultimate peer pressure, the ultimate age-segregated peer grouping where you're in this world that is not real, but it's forcing you to be perfect when you cannot be perfect. And, and what I mean by perfect is to look perfect and to, to have the perfect life and have no problems and have no issues. That's why these young people are killing themselves. And that's why older people, they might not kill themselves, but they're so discontent with the life God has given them. A clip here from the movie, The Final Days, kind of shows, and it's something to really think about where technology comes from. And I, th I think they've hit on some key things here. And you might not agree with every point of it, but I think Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, and he is the prince of this world, I think he is the one that is really pushing forward the technologies that aren't benefiting us. They're sucking the life out of us. They're taking our time, which is our most precious resource that we have, and we don't even know how much we have left. And he's getting us to use it on the meaningless, on the worthless, on, on the, the thing that's not necessary so we don't have time to do the things God has put us on this earth to do. Twitter user Hollow Sun wrote a chilling thread entitled, AI is not artificial. In it, he explains a perspective on technology that is quite absent in the modern world and one that is integral to understanding why there's anything to be concerned about. All technology comes from demonic superintelligences, taught to humans to facilitate our destruction. This knowledge is relayed in many ways, but the main one is through dreams. Trances are also common. In these states, the mind opens up to the other side, and information is passed along. And there are more instances of this than you'd believe. And I'll run through the dream and try to interpret it and try to make sense out of it. And invariably, it doesn't always work, but it, it works more times than not. I'll have some new insight, and maybe a whole new idea, uh, about this issue. I've gotten up and then and written a patent application for an invention that's come out this way. So during the day, I'm just kind of carrying out my dream decisions. In 1996, Larry Page had a dream in which he saw a massive room filled with all the information in the entire world, all saved inside metal cabinets. He was seeing a vision of the future. In 1869, Dmitry Mendeleev fell into a trance-like state where the various elements had arranged themselves before his eyes. It organized the elements the way they now appear in the periodic table. In 1984, Steve Jobs released the first Macintosh computer, whose company logo is far from subtle. For $666.66. 66 
In the past, he commented, quote, We had help when referring to the development of the technology and often utilized LSD to induce trance-like states during the company's development. DNA was a vision of a twisting staircase like the one Jacob saw leading into heaven. The Bohr Adam was envisioned in a dreamlike state. There is a long-standing legend that humans in search of great knowledge turn to wise entities for guidance or wisdom or even wealth. The classic deal with the devil of Western folklore. I'm holding up my hand. What was your bargain? To get where um, I am now. Should I ask who you made the bargain with? <laughs> with, 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 you know, with the chief, uh, chief commander. On this earth? <laughs> and this earth and in, uh, and then in a world we can't see. This goes back to the Garden of Eden where the serpent promises Eve divine knowledge in exchange for her immortal soul. Of course, Eve didn't know her soul was on the table, only that she would be as gods, knowing good and evil. This divine knowledge destroyed the perfect Garden of Eden, precipitating the fall of man. Fallen angel Asael descended to earth and gave forbidden knowledge to women concerning female adornment, which facilitated lust. He also taught men how to create weapons which enabled war. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only equal all the time. And so God annihilated his creation. The Industrial Revolution had similar effect on humanity as a whole. We stepped outside of the garden for the promise of a better, more prosperous life. But this knowledge has a high cost. The power of technology has already destroyed the foundation of civilization completely. We have become atomized, transforming our world into a hellish realm. We are destroying the planet along with our own minds and bodies. There are always two sides to the demonic pact, the initial and beneficial effect and the payment. The full extent of this cost is hidden. and You find out once it's already too late. In the stories, it's the soul of the fool who dared to dance with the devil. But ours is greater. This is what I refer to as the demonic intent or the fine print, the true motivation. Giving you some small measure of material power is easy for a demon because in the end he will get exactly what he wants. The devil is the god of this world, so he has the power to grant us material things, but only if we accept his pacts. Your soul cannot be stolen unless you give it away. Have you ever signed a terms and agreements without reading it? Then it might already be too late. This is the demonic intent. To weaken us on a civilizational level. 
to deracinate us and desensitize us to the darkness and depravity we subject ourselves to. I call this the technological cycle. You can see its machinations coiled through the histories when they stepped in. As we surround ourselves with profane machines, they whittle away at our divinity, making us in turn as mechanical as they are. Technology will strip us of autonomy if we let it. This is what makes it so sinister. It preys on all our biological and evolutionary weaknesses, perfectly designed to drain us of all humanity, of all divinity, until man becomes nothing more than a mindless slave. Everything comes in gradual waves. All you have to do is passively accept it. Each new advancement creeps its way into our laps, but you still have free will. I'd blame technology alone for this if there wasn't so much evidence outside of inspiration driving it forwards. Even in ancient history, mankind makes inexplicable leaps between ages, from the Stone Age to the Iron Age. Massive leaps in technological complexity. This is hinted at in the scripture when it says that an angel taught Tubal-Cain the art of metalworking. The meaning of his name is dragged or carried by the great king, Baal. In the Lesser Key of Solomon, there are descriptions of demons and the things they will teach you. In there, Baal is described as a great duke of hell, a demon with legions of lesser demons that serve under him. And all demons were once angels. When God created Adam, Lucifer was furious. Refusing to bow to something he saw as inferior to himself is the reason why he was cast down from heaven. Seeing mankind broken and fallen is Satan's greatest desire and so he will grind away at us, tempting and testing until every last soul falls into the abyss with him. Technology is one of the most insidious of these devices. They seek to corrupt the divine creation into something that does not resemble it at all, to swing the pendulum to the opposite extreme, to remove nature from the image completely and replace it with a mechanical landscape devoid of divine design, to transform this world into hell. The technological cycle is a way to accomplish two of their desires to corrupt our bodies until they no longer resemble the creation of the divine, to build for them what they cannot create for themselves, digital and mechanical bodies that they can use to rule this world. There is nothing artificial about artificial intelligence. This is something that has been lurking behind the veil since the beginning of time, trying to get through. AI is a vehicle for demons to enter our world. All the mechanical interfaces that we have been building around ourselves will become the bars of our prison. We will build the matrix with our own hands and be buried. This network of data gathering, omniscient cameras, GPS tracking, simulated reality devices will all be put to use by the god of this new world. The outside intelligence that fills the AI shell. We have created our own demiurge and turned
turned our beautiful world dead out. I think any of us, if we're honest and we look around, we see the destruction that is happening because of these modern technologies that really have not helped improve our lives. It's not like the washing machine or the dryer. It's these computer-aided things that have sought to control us by using up all of the time that we have. And I know a lot of you will say, well, of course technology can be used for good. Of course it can. But I think if you look around today and you see the advancements that are happening, they're not like technologies of the past, like indoor plumbing and bathrooms so we could be clean and, and take care of ourselves. It's totally different than that. A couple of the things in that last clip are kind of disturbing. Uh, did you see about the Apple computer and good old Steve Jobs? Um, I didn't know some of that, but the first Apple computer was $666. That's not an accident. And the apple, which was the forbidden fruit for Eve, is what their logo is. It's really shocking. But you go back to the technologies almost to the Industrial Revolution when all of a sudden everything was just mass-produced. An individual man just became a cog in the machine. Instead of he being someone that would build the whole carriage, he just built the spokes for the carriage or whatever it was where it's just all of a sudden and it pulled the man out of the home. So there's no more fathers in the home because they have to be at the factory every day. And so a lot of these things we think are advancements. They were not advancements at all. They were people greedy for money, came up with better systems of doing things so they could profit from it. But they didn't look around and see this isn't profiting everybody. Yeah, they can buy stuff a little bit cheaper, but they're losing the main thing. <laughs> they're losing their relationships. They're losing their connection to their families. They're losing the ability to provide something that's fulfilling for one another. If you're the, the carriage maker and you build the whole carriage for someone and then you sell it to them, there's a lot of fulfillment in that. If you're the one that's just making the spindles for the spokes, there's no fulfillment in that. It's just a job because you need money to survive. That's what this stuff has done. It never draws us closer to God. It usually makes life easier so we feel like we don't need him as much. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, you know, or give us this day our daily bread. Anyone that lives in America doesn't even know what that means because of all the conveniences. We all have a pantry that has two months of food in it. So why would you pray, give us this day our daily bread? We, we're like, I already got it. I don't need that. That's what technology is making us think. We don't need God. We can take care of ourselves. We can heal ourselves with modern medicine. We can just be so convenient and so entertained. I really don't feel like I have any needs or problems. And I think it's just deadly. But I think it's done far more evil than good. This next clip is one of the most powerful that I saw because it's, it's someone explaining very clearly the difference between a technology that is a tool to help you get things done and a technology that is a, not a tool, um, even though it's being sold to us as a tool. This is very important. Listen to this carefully. No one got upset when bicycles showed up, right? Like if everyone's starting to go around on bicycles, no one said, we've just ruined society. 
Like bicycles are affecting people. They're pulling people away from their kids. They're, they're ruining the fabric of democracy. People can't tell what's true. Like we never said any of that stuff about a bicycle. If something is a tool, it genuinely is just sitting there waiting patiently. If something is not a tool, it's demanding things from you. It's seducing you. It's manipulating you. It wants things from you. And we've moved away from having a tools-based technology environment to an addiction and manipulation-based technology environment. That's what's changed. Social media isn't a tool that's just waiting to be used. It has its own goals, and it has its own means of pursuing them by using your psychology against you. Our advancements today primarily aren't tools. They are just time-sucking manipulators. And we need to realize that, especially as Christians, because we will give an account of every second we've been placed on this earth. What did we do with it? How did we steward it? And that's why this is sobering. And I think it's a real problem. I think I have a problem with some of this and I'm gonna get more and more control over it. And I know most of you do too, because we've become so dependent, so lazy mentally, it's so easy to be entertained. It's so easy to watch something. It's so easy to not pick up the book, but instead just turn on the TV or whatever it is. And I just, I really want to encourage you in that. This next clip really exposes to all of us, their real intent is to take our time, all of it if possible. But not just to do that, not just to make money off us, but it is to change us as well. And this one guy really explains that clearly. It's moving you in a direction they want you to go. It's slowly manipulating you to be who they want you to be. That's the bottom line of the whole thing. The classic saying is, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. A lot of people think, you know, oh, well, Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing and see their photos. But what they don't realize is they're competing for your attention. So, you know, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, companies like this, their business model is to keep people engaged on the screen. Let's figure out how to get as much of this person's attention as we possibly can. How much time can we get you to spend? How much of your life can we get you to give to us? That's a little too simplistic. It's the gradual, slight, imperceptible change in your own behavior and perception that is the product. And that is the product. It's the only possible product. There's nothing else on the table that could plausibly be called the product. That's the only thing there is for them to make money from. Changing what you do, how you think, who you are. It's a gradual change. It's slight. This is what every business has always dreamt of to have a guarantee that if it places an ad, it will be successful. That's their business. They sell certainty. In order to be successful in that business, you have to have great predictions. Great predictions begin with one imperative. You need a lot of data. What I want people to know is that Everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked, is being measured. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. 
exactly what image you stop and look at, for how long you look at it. Oh yeah, seriously, for how long you look at it. They know when people are lonely, they know when people are depressed, they know when people are looking at photos of your ex-romantic partners, they know what you're doing late at night, they know the entire thing. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, or what kind of neuroses you have, what your personality type is like. They have more information about us than has ever been imagined in human history. It is unprecedented. And so all of this data that we're, that we're just pouring out all the time is being fed into these systems that have almost no human supervision and that are making better and better and better and better predictions about what we're gonna do and, and who we are. A lot of people have the misconception that it's our data being sold. It's not in Facebook's business interest to give up the data. What do they do with that data? They build models that predict our actions. And whoever has the best model wins. On the other side of the screen, it's almost as if they have this avatar voodoo doll like model of us. All of the things we've ever done, all the clicks we've ever made, all the videos we've watched, all the likes, that all gets brought back into building a more and more accurate model. The model, once you have it, you can predict the kinds of things that person does. Right, let me just test where you're gonna go. I can predict what kind of videos will keep you watching. I can predict what kinds of emotions tend to trigger you. Yes, perfect. The most epic fails of the year. Perfect, that worked. Following with another video? Beautiful. Let's squeeze in a sneaker right before it starts. At a lot of these technology companies, there's three main goals. There's the engagement goal, to drive up your usage to keep you scrolling. There's the growth goal, to keep you coming back and inviting as many friends and getting them to invite more friends. And then there's the advertising goal, to make sure that as all that's happening, we're making as much money as possible from advertising. Each of these goals are powered by algorithms whose job is to figure out what to show you to keep those numbers going up. We often talked about at Facebook this idea of being able to just dial that as needed. I think it's important for us to not be naive and not understand what this thing is really about. It's about manipulating us to be, to believe, to do what they want us to do. And we need to think about that. But as I thought about that, I thought, isn't that interesting? They, they are studying every one of us, every detail, so they know us. Who else is doing that? Satan is. He's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's studying us. He's looking for your weaknesses. He's looking for what you're tempted by. He's looking so he can destroy you. He can tempt you with the right thing to bring you down. But that's what this is. This model is they are trying to become like the mind of God. Like the founder of Google said, he said, we will be as God. That's the old lie that keeps getting sold. But their model is so accurate of us. When they decide who the domestic terrorists are, they just have to type in the criteria into the computer and your name will come up and my name will come up. Even if we've done nothing, 
Just in the last month with Oath Keepers, we've seen a whole new precedent set where some of the Oath Keepers who did not go to January 6th, they were just part of that group, have now been given huge jail sentences for just being part of the conspiracy. They did no violence. They did no vandalism. They didn't do anything. They weren't even there. And they're getting 10 plus year sentences in prison. That's what this is going to be used for in the long run. Because it's our government. It's the intelligence community that is behind all of this. They're the ones that funded Google to start with. The CIA did. And, and so many of these other groups. I think they're all shell games for the government to collect information on us so they can control us once they know who we are and they can eliminate their enemies. I really believe that's what it is. But this is also, it goes much deeper than that. Just a few more clips and I'm done. But this is important. This is a religion. Scientism, the science, technology, the biotech, all these buzzwords that they use. It is a cult. It is a religion. In this new cult of scientism, the sacraments are abortion, euthanasia, child mutilation, and genetically engineering humans to remove their humanity. That's the goal. Watch this clip and listen to them talk about that. As the fourth industrial revolution looms on the horizon, a new religion emerges, that of scientism. Masquerading as materialists and atheists, the prophets of this new creed cry out in the town square of the coming age of transhumanism, when man will finally become like gods. When Yuval Noah Harari published his first book, Sapiens, in 2014, about the history of the human species, it became a global bestseller and turned the little-known Israeli history professor into one of the most popular writers and thinkers on the planet. But when we met with Harari in Tel Aviv this summer, it wasn't our species past that concerned him. It was our future. Life is about to break out of the limited organic realm and start spreading into the vastness of the inorganic realm. We are about to create the first inorganic life forms after four billion years of evolution. And in the process, our own species, Homo sapiens, is likely to disappear, not because we will destroy ourselves, but because we will change and upgrade ourselves into something very different. In the 21st century, we'll be to try and gain control of the world inside us, to learn how to engineer and produce bodies and brains and minds. These are likely to be the main products of the 21st century economy. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. Then the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be what do we need humans for? Or at least, what do we need so many humans for? Do you have an answer in the book? Um, at present, the best guess we have is uh, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. But this doesn't sound like a very appealing future. They really are just trying to create a world 
where humans don't have a place in it anymore. Even though God made the earth for mankind, that's why everything's perfectly suited for us. They are following Lucifer, and many of them openly, and he is telling them, no, destroy mankind. Destroy the ability of mankind to be productive and to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to do all the things God's asked us to do. Take dominion and all those things. That, that's what this all is about. But technology is going to replace us, they say, and it's a good thing. And uh, But one more clip here by Ray Kurzweil. If you don't know him, he is someone that for the last 50 years has been predicting the future with, with incredible accuracy. And technology is taking us into a world without humans. And he explains the future they seek in this clip here. Watch this. It's short, but it's really good because this is the bottom line of the whole thing right here, what he has to say. Ray Kurzweil is one of the world's leading inventors, thinkers and futurists with a 30-year track and reputation of accurate predictions called the restless genius by the Wall Street Journal and the ultimate thinking machine by Forbes. He was selected as one of the top entrepreneurs by Inc. magazine which described him as the rightful heir to Thomas Edison. PBS selected him as one of the 16 revolutionaries who made America. It's the exponentially growing information technologies that will save us in the form of GNR, genetics, nanotechnology, robotics. Robotics really meaning artificial intelligence. There's been a long tradition in science ever since Copernicus replaced Ptolemy uh, that there's nothing special about humans, there's nothing special about the Earth. Uh, we're not descended from gods, we're descended from worms. We are fundamentally information. At the core of every one of our 10 trillion cells are genes, and genes are sequences of data. And they evolved thousands of years ago. Many of them go back millions of years. We have this old software that really is not entirely relevant to the modern age we live in. Well, we're going to become increasingly non-biological to the point where the non-biological part predominates and the biological part is not that important anymore. In fact, the non-biological part, the machine part, will be so powerful it can completely model and understand the biological part. So even if that biological part went away, it wouldn't make any difference because the, the non-biological part already understood it completely. Another step then is in the 2030s when we can actually connect our neocortex, which is where we do our thinking, to computers. So I believe that will happen in the 2030s. We'll actually... So just the way this is greatly amplified by being connected to the cloud, uh, we can connect our own brain to the cloud. To clarify what I think you just said, that in 20 years, plus or minus, so the mid-2030s, we will have nanobots that we can feed into our brain that directly connect to the cloud rather than through anything we carry in our pocket. Elon Musk's brain implant company Neuralink said on Thursday it had been given a green light from the US FDA to kickstart its first in human clinical study. The bottom line is we are one human machine civilization. This technology has already expanded who we are and it's going to go into high gear 
when we get to the steep part of the exponential. And then the last uh, revolution, which began about 500 years ago, and which we are still really just in the beginning of it, is the scientific revolution. Uh, again, humankind gains immense new powers, uh, su such big powers that you can say they might really transform us, not only from just apes into the rulers of the planet, they might transform us into gods. What did Satan tell Eve in the garden? You shall be as gods. It's the same lie. They think they can become God without him. They can have eternal life without him. Uh, and it's so demonic and it's so evil. But I think we're being pulled into this, into their web, because of the convenience, because of the entertainment, because of the easy life of not having to do much to look at your phone, to have your existence be that instead of getting up, getting in your car, driving over to meet your friend and go take a walk with them and talk with them. Um, I do not believe they'll succeed in their plans, obviously. But the fact they're heading down this road that is destroying mankind's future and that is trying to make him obsolete and that is trying to attain eternal life and, and to be like God by themselves. We know it's a satanic track. It's the same thing Satan's been trying to sell mankind since the beginning. And we need to say no to it because as now the medical industry is joining together in the technology. And we saw that with COVID in Australia, New Zealand, New York City, California, we saw the totalitarian arm of government using technology to monitor people for medical reasons. And it was unbelievable what happened with that. And now they're combining things together with this new term biotech. And if you analyze that word biotech, you know exactly what it means. It means humans combined with technology. Biology and technology combined together. That's what transhumanism is. That's what the transgender movement is setting the stage for. If you can convince people, they can decide what gender they are. And you create 50 plus different ones for them to choose from. And they're deciding to do that. Then in the near future, it's clear they'll be able to decide if they're human or not. Or if they want to be a computer or a robot or whatever it might be. We're just breaking down the final stones of the way God set up the universe and the way it was to be. In the beginning, he made male and female. And all the different things God established, the principles, the rules that govern the universe in the Bible, they flipped all of them on their head, which we knew was going to happen because Satan knows each one of them perfectly and is not stopping until everything has been turned on its head. And so here's one last clip that shows how now they're combining it all together in a really deadly way. But then I have a final clip of the solution to this problem. Some of the things we can be doing to make a difference. I know this has been a longer episode than normal, but this is an important topic and I still haven't covered it completely. It's just too broad, but I wanted to cover enough to make you really think and take time to analyze how you're using technology and how it is using you. Directed evolution is for the purposes of exterminating the human species. 
it is the definition of biowarfare. Because of their lust for power, the rulers of this world are doomed to reenact their father's sins. In the days of Noah, they contaminated the gene pool. But today, their hubris has augmented the very fabric of God's handiwork. That on a historical timescale, we are very close to an unprecedented and enormous and swift transformation of human life in the world. 20 years from now, they will be the size of blood cells and you won't need any surgery. It will just go into your brain through the bloodstream. Little robotic devices in the bloodstream into the brain and they'll put our neocortex, which is the part of our brain where we th do our thinking, uh, onto the cloud, connected to the cloud. Genome engineered animals and plants are happening right now. And this puts in front of all of us a huge responsibility to consider carefully both the unintended consequences as well as the intended impacts of a scientific breakthrough. Thank you. What people aren't understanding is that, that we are in the middle of, of World War III. We're in the middle of a global war. Why did every nation around the globe in lockstep decide to lock down their countries, um, place their civilians on house arrest as if they had been invaded by a foreign enemy, put forward rules that you would have in prison camps in order to cause emotional and mental distress? So the question is, why did every nation around the globe agree to do this if we weren't in the middle of a war and under a global attack by some other global power. Ladies and gentlemen, I send you my warmest greetings and best wishes on the launch of the Great Reset. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. Today um, is the beginning of uh, a global mobilization effort uh, to rally our forces behind this great reset initiative. Therefore, we have a unique but rapidly shrinking window of opportunity to learn lessons and reset ourselves on a more sustainable path. Rebalancing investment, harnessing science and technology, and advancing the transition to net zero emissions, all elements of the Great Reset, are fundamental to building the future we need. If you wonder what someone's intentions are, you know, we're doing this for the greater good, well, look at the outcomes. Uh, we've destroyed economies around the globe, uh, our children are set back years in, in social and educational development and young healthy people and teenagers and children are having heart attacks and dropping dead. If you wonder what their intentions are with this mRNA technology platform, look at the outcomes. If we don't recognize that there's evil in this world, now, then we're going to be annihilated to the exact level of our naivete. Philo Farnsworth never allowed his creation into his own home. Nor did Steve Jobs. Kalishnikov regretted 
his killing machine. Alfred Nobel, inventor of dynamite, founded the Nobel Peace Prize to offset the destruction his invention created. Orville Wright mourned the destruction his wings brought into the world. Oppenheimer became death itself. And the godfather of AI has now left Google, begun warning of the coming perils of his creation. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. In their hubris, the builders of the Tower of Babel reached toward the sky to make war on heaven and overthrow God. And nothing that they had imagined would be restrained from them, so God confused their languages. But today, the builders of these new towers care not on whom they make war. As long as they become like the God, they claim does not exist. But if history has clarified anything, it is that the minds responsible for bringing forth these technological revolutions will soon regret what they have done. But by then, it will be far too late. Pandora's box is now open, and its contents have exploded forth into this world under the influence of those men and spirits who despise themselves and their maker. I don't have all the solutions for you, but I know each of you, as you pray about it, think about it, make lists of the things that you spend your time doing and make sure all of those are what you were put on this earth to do. Um, you know, that's what we all need to do. Some just basic items I thought of off the top of my head. Brave browser. That's the best browser that doesn't keep track of all the things you're doing and what you're searching and things. Proton Mail is what I use where you can get email and a VPN from them that, that encrypts your emails so they're private and it can also hide your computer from where it's located and things. I suggest you get a flip phone and get rid of the smartphone. And I know that's a huge thing, but I think we need to head in that direction so that we're not being tracked, traced, monitored, but we're also not tempted to be looking at that thing like those people talked about. We're not tempted to keep checking it and keep being distracted from life for something that is totally meaningless. We need to unplug from all social media. Cut screen time to maybe one night a week. Oh, we're going to watch a movie one night a week. Maybe something like that. Read books, play games, take walks with all the extra time you have. You'll be shocked. I remember the first year we got married when my wife and I got rid of our TV. We were shocked at how much time there was in a day and how much time we were able to spend together. And at the end of that first year, we decided we don't ever want a TV in our home, and I'm so glad that we haven't. Because even without a TV, we barely had time to accomplish the things that we're supposed to be accomplishing. And But the phones have really become a detriment to all of us, I believe. We need to meet with friends and family often to talk, listen, grow. We need to build gardens, plant orchards, fellowship together over meals. We need to just get back to the basics and quit thinking that these technologies 
are helping us have more free time because they're not. It's a total lie. They might be convenient. They might help us accomplish a lot, but they're not giving us more free time. They're taking every free second that we have. I have this one last clip. It's about an Amish community and what happened to them during COVID. I lived in an Amish community in Kelowna, Iowa uh, for a year and a half, a few years ago. And so I got to see how they operate. And it's really pretty amazing. Uh, they go to the hardcore level of no electricity and no conveniences of any kind. But a lot of the principles are good. A lot of the way they spend their time is really good on meaningful things. But watch this clip here, and then I'll close right after this, of what happened to them in the way they live their life in the three things they have just said no to that's been a great blessing. When it comes to actions taken to address the COVID-19 threat, hindsight is still very much underway. For your consideration, a story and outcome you probably aren't hearing much about anywhere else. It takes place in the heart of Amish country. Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Thousands of families lead lives largely separate from modern America. The Amish are a Christian group that emphasizes the virtuous over the superficial. They don't usually drive, use electricity, or have TVs. And during the COVID-19 outbreak, they became subjects in a massive social and medical experiment. So it's safe to say there was a whole different approach here in this community when coronavirus broke out Absolutely. than many other places. Absolutely. Calvin Lapp is Amish Mennonite. There's three things the Amish don't like, and that's government. They won't get involved in government. They don't like the public education system. They won't send their children to education, and they, they also don't like the health system. Uh, they, they rip us off. Those are three things that we feel like we're fighting against all the time. Well, those three things are all part of what COVID is. After a short shutdown last year, the Amish chose a unique path that led to COVID-19 tearing through at warp speed. It began with an important religious holiday in May. When they take communion, they, 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 they dump their wine into a cup and they take turns to drink out of that cup. So you go the whole way down the line and everybody drinks out of that cup. So if one person has coronavirus, the rest of the church is gonna get coronavirus. First time they went back to church, everybody got coronavirus. Lapp says they weren't denying coronavirus, they were facing it head on. It's the worst thing to quit working than dying. But to shut down and say that we can't go to church, we can't get together with family, we can't see our old people in the hospital, we gotta quit working. You're working, it's going completely against everything that we believe. And you're changing our culture completely to try to act like they wanted us to act the last year and we're not gonna do it. That also meant avoiding hospitals. I know of some cases in which Amish people like refused to go to the hospital, even when they were very sick, because if they went there, they wouldn't be able to have visitors. And it was more important to be sick, even very sick at home, uh, and have the ability to have uh, some people around you than to go to the hospital and be isolated. Then last March, remarkable news. The Lancaster County Amish were reported to be the first community to achieve herd immunity. 
meaning a large part of the population had been infected with COVID-19 and become immune. Some outsiders are skeptical and solid proof is hard to come by. Even those who, who believed that they had COVID uh, tended not to get tested. Um, their approach tended to be, uh, I'm sick, I know I'm sick, I don't have to have someone else tell me I'm sick. Uh, or um, a concern that if they um, you know, got a positive test, they would then be asked to really dramatically limit what they were doing in a way that um, you know, might be uncomfortable for them. So, so we don't have that testing number. We didn't want the numbers to go up because then they would shut things more. What, what's the advantage of getting a test? One thing's clear, there's no evidence of any more deaths among the Amish than in places that shut down tight. Some claim there were fewer here. That's without masking, staying at home, or another important measure. Well, we're glad all the English people got their COVID vaccines. That's great because now we can do, we don't have to wear a mask, we can do what we want. So good for you, thank you. We appreciate it. We, us, no, we're not getting vaccines. Of course not, we all got the COVID. So why, why would you get a vaccine? By staying open, the Amish here have one tangible 2020 accomplishment few others can claim. We, we, we have this joke when everybody else stopped, started walking, we started running. We made more money in the last year than we ever did. It was our best year ever. Did the Amish really find a magic formula? They say yes, and they don't care who doubts it. Anyway, wasn't that interesting? They say no to government, no to the educational system, and no to the medical establishment. I think we can learn from them in a lot of ways. We need to say no to the government and all their nonsense, do things the right way. We need to say no to the educational system and homeschool our children. We need to say no to the medical establishment. We need to get where we're living healthy, and we are learning to take care of ourselves and find natural remedies to help solve our health problems and things like that because the government's about death, the educational system's about death, and the medical establishment we now know over the last several years is about death. That's what it's about. And we need to say no to death and yes to life. I loved his one line. He said this, it's worse to quit working than dying. Isn't that amazing? Why don't we have that mentality anymore? It's like, well, I'm not as scared of dying. To sit there and not be able to work and do something productive, that would be far worse than dying. And yet the world, the technology is trying to create, no man will have anything to do except stare at his cell phone, play video games, or take drugs like Yuval Harari talked about. That's the world we're heading into, and it's not a good one. I'm encouraging you to really reflect and take action on your life and your time this week and the months to come and, and make some changes. We all need to. It's so important. Our verse for this week is Colossians 2.8. Here it is. It fits into what we're talking about. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. That's the whole thing right there. We need to stop following the world and the ways of man and the traditions of man and start following the Lord and using this vapor of our life for him uh, because we don't know how much is left. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you greatly. And until next week, God bless you.